Hey guys, G-Man here. Thank you so much for downloading this week's Game of Thrones recap, Season 7, Episode 3, The Queen's Justice. I have Emily Anderson of thirdandgirl.com here with me, and we recap the meeting between Jon and Daenerys, Bran Stark's return to Winterfell, and Olena Tyrell's final words. But as always, please go like, share, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Thunderblogsports.com is our presenting website. Follow us on Twitter. ThunderBLG is the handle there. Like us on Instagram and Facebook. ThunderblogSports is the username. But as always, enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to this week's Game of Thrones recap episode. Season 7, Episode 3, The Queen's Justice. I, of course, am the G-Man, Jordy Cannell. And with me again is the third and girl herself, Emily Anderson. Emily, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. We're doing this, uh, we let the episode marinate a little bit. Recording this on Tuesday night instead of Sunday night. We, uh, have had a long weekend of channeling our inner Thrones character and... Getting our own little direwolf. Exactly. Throwing some axes and getting our own little, little Luna Wolf. (laughs) Luna Wolf. But... Yeah, this week's episode I, I thought easily was the best of the season. Yeah, I really liked that battle at the end of the last episode, though. Yeah, I, this one had so so much to unpack, though, and we're going to get all into that. But let's start with right at the beginning, right? Don't bury the lead. Yeah, we, yeah right at the beginning. The, the big part of the episode <laughs> is the meeting. John and Danny finally meet in another case of how long does it take to get across Westeros? We get a lot of that in this episode, actually. But John and Davos, who you thought maybe you get some filler, none of that in Season 7 of Game of Thrones. They immediately get right to Dragonstone. We've only got seven episodes. We don't have time for filler. Yeah, and we, we see that a lot, especially here in both traveling and in battles, but we'll get to that. We start immediately with John and Davos landing on the beach, and Tyrion and some others greet him, but... The, the bastard of Winterfell. The dwarf of Casterly Rock. And a little smile between the two of them. They're best buds. They're best buds. They haven't seen each other since episode two of the show. Wow. They haven't seen each other in 61 episodes. How long is that in Game of Thrones time? I don't know. That's actually a really good question because like, Sansa's been married twice as they reference both weddings on in this episode. And you know... Arya's been around the world and, and all this different stuff. So you have to think, it doesn't just take, you know, a day of, to travel across the sea. So it's probably in a few years. Um, but, yeah, th- th- so Tyrion and Jon have exchanged pleasantries and, and they meet some of, you know, Danny's. Masande's there. She asks them to give up their weapons. Exactly. The Dothraki and Jon, his reaction to them just really made me laugh. Yeah, it was pretty funny. He's, he's kind of like, who, who are these dudes? Like... And at one point, Danny mentions, like, have you seen the Dothraki? And he's like, hard to miss them. Yeah. They really brought the comedy writers in for this episode. They did, yeah. And and as they're they're kind of walking up, they both mention, they acknowledge how long it's been. And John mentions it's been quite a long road. And Tyrion goes, yeah, I think it's been pretty long. I was drunk for most of it. (laughs) And that really kicks off this 20, opening at 20 minutes, I would say. 
of you know some quick quips thrown in. Peter Dinklage does a great job with it as as Tyrion, of course. Um, they're mentioning sort of John being a Stark, and and this is interesting. A lot of different people have been theorizing what this means. And John goes, "I'm not a Stark," and immediately sees one of the dragons swoop in, and John da- John and Davos are just in awe of the three dragons flying along the perches of Dragonstone, and we get right into the meeting. They know their family. What can I say? Yeah, they must. They gotta know he's not actually a Stark. We go. Almost right into the meeting, actually. We get Melisandre and Varys having a conversation, but we'll, we'll get back to that. Let's get right to the meeting. We finally see the two main characters of the show since the very beginning meeting. And it definitely lived up to all of the hype that last episode showed it would be and that we've all wished it could be. I agree. It's just, it's kind of like... In some ways, it's odd because you want to see them work together, but there also is, like, this Team Danny or Team John, like, pick a side kind of thing. So it'll be interesting to see if it ends up being Danny versus John or Danny and John. And I think it has to be Danny and John. Yeah. But- yeah, and that's sort of what the, the conversation's about, that they're sort of on different pages and one's not listening to the other and vice versa. Where John's talking about the White Walkers coming in, and Danny's saying, "I don't care about those. I just need to rule Westeros." And and John makes the comment, "You're going to be ruling a graveyard," and basically really trying to hammer home, "Hey, like, listen, like, nobody believed me until they saw what it was." Uh, and they and they kind of get into sort of the the mythology of one another of Team Danny and Team John. Danny says. I believed in myself through everything being sold, being raped, being, you know, everything that's happened to her throughout the show. And no, she did say that. You know, don't I need to roll your eyes at it. Um, and John doesn't need to brag for himself as... He is Davos for that. He is Davos for that. <laughs> Davos, the big king of it. But he talks about how everybody believed in John and how he's able to inspire the hope and... Inspire everything for his people, whether it's the you know, Brothers of the Night Watch, whether it's the the North, the North, and rallying against the the Boltons, um, and the the big sort of plot point that'll definitely come back around is Davos sort of lists off all these different ways that people believed in John and sort of proved that he might be you know to us the prince that's promised or one of the princes or princesses that's promised. And lists off, you know, he's gotten stabbed in the heart, and he he gave his. John tells him to shut up. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about that here, um, which does come back around uh, later in the episode when Danny and Tyrion are talking. But you know, Davos really he helps saves this because John always the begrudgingly, you know, he's begrudgingly a- leading people. He's very humble. He's probably one of the most pure. Purely just, he has the purest intentions of most people on the show. He doesn't really want to kill anybody except for these zombie ice people. Yeah, he's not really in this quote-unquote Game of Thrones for the power. He's in it to literally save people's lives because everyone will die if the White Walkers get through the wall. Exactly. So he doesn't want to rule, really. I think I've seen things about, you know, John is a great wartime leader but he's not necessarily a peacetime leader he's, exactly he's the one you want to to get you over that hump and then he's good yeah. you know so yeah exactly uh and 
And nobody really makes a headway one way or the other as the scene ends, which, you know, you kind of had to think, especially just the way that that the White Walkers have been portrayed throughout the show, uh, starting from the very beginning where Ned beheads the the brothers that flee the north, or flee the wall. Um, You know, really, it's a big, literally see-to-believe type of phenomenon, but slowly but surely we make our way into it. Um, Tyrion and Jon... As Tyrion so so eloquently puts it, as only he can, decide to brood together on the cliffs, where John once again asks, "Am I a prisoner?" He asks that as they're leaving the throne room, um, but they have an interesting conversation there, and eventually John just gets down right to the point, says, "Do you believe that these things are real?" Basically, knowing that Tyrion's this well-read guy and and how well it you know. How much he knows about everything. That's why he wanted to come see the wall with him and why he wanted to piss off the end of the world, as I think Tyrion said at the beginning, the end of that episode. Um, and Tyrion says, you know what? I, I, I didn't, but you came down here. I, you know, if I wasn't the hand of Daenerys, I would have told you to get the fuck out of here. Um, you know, you really, you really believe it. So I believe you and, and asks, how can I help? And, and that's where we get into this conversation immediately smash cut to Danny and, and Tyrion talking about the dragon glass and Danny's like, go ahead, basically. Yeah, Why does he want it? She like, has no need for I it. I don't know, I don't need this. She has a, she needs a little bit of convincing of kinda of like who like who does this guy think he is? Like what why does he want dragon glass? And Tyrion's basically like, hey, it's it's obsidian. It's worthless. Worst case is you're letting it up. Best case is he's right that it it does kill White Walkers and, and great, you helped him out and He'll be loyal to you. That's how you build allies. Um, and Danny asks about the stabbing in the heart, and Tyrion tries to make a, a funny quip once again, and, and T- Danny basically calls out his bullshit, saying like, "You're just trying to be funny and say this is one of your old timey quotes." And he goes, "I wouldn't do that to you." <laughs> um, which I mean, we've seen him do that throughout the show to everybody, but uh, you know, basically, Danny and John kind of make somewhat of a piece. Of Danny telling John, "Hey, I'm gonna give you some of my men. You go, you go mine as much dragon glass as you want. You're not allowed to leave yet." John really just wants to get back on his boat and get back to his people. Uh, but I mean, really, the the Dragonstone action is, is a lot of where we saw this episode, and, and a really interesting point is that Melisandre Vera's conversation that is probably. It may not even come back around until part two of, of season seven, uh, but it basically Varys asks, you know, you brought fire and ice together. Why aren't you there? And we all know why Varys doesn't, but Shireen, you know, Shireen, um, and and Melisandre just basically says, you know, I've done all I can. All my purpose here is to bring them together. I'm going to go to Volantis. and he goes, oh, so and Varys basically says, like, don't come back. We don't want we don't want you here, and. The interesting, the interesting line is, I need to come back and die on this continent. The same with you. And Varys kind of gives a shocking look. And then kind of seems maybe he knows what she's talking about. I mean, what did you think? Did you think he knew or do you think? I think he knew or at least had an idea or maybe made some connection to her that he didn't know previously existed. Like yeah. something... That was something that he didn't expect her to know. And so the fact that she knew it created some kind of odd kinship between them. But we don't know why or what it is. Yeah. So. It might have something to do. I mean, remember when she first met John, 
she tries to seduce him and then quotes Egret, and that's still unexplained. The whole she might be a million years old thing still isn't explained. I forgot about that. Yeah. She is a million years yeah. old. Yeah, so like we're, we're, I mean, that's, there's a lot of mystery around that. Hopefully is Varys it's not, a million years old? Maybe he is, and maybe that's what she's referencing, and, and that's kind of why he's the protector of the realm. Uh, so, I mean, maybe that's sort of the the greater mythos of the Lord of Light and kind of the realm itself and, and and seeing how, you know, all the different religious, you know, symbolism that's been thrown around the show quite both figuratively and literally um, can we get tied back into it because I'm sure that's not done yet. You know, yeah. there's not... The Lord of Light, aside from Beric Dondari and, and what those guys are doing, um, you know, that's... That, that, all that's certainly not going away. Um, but Varys makes a comeback towards the end of the throne room scene, mentions the end of the battle from episode two. Um, we see Theon quickly pulled up by Ironborn soldiers, uh, lies and says that he tried to protect Yara, and they're like, no, you didn't. You wouldn't be here if you didn't. And that quickly goes to King's Landing. And we see Euron being awesomely psychotic. He's crazy. He is a nut job. He comes flying in on his horse, dragging Yara, dragging um, Alaria, and the third stand stake, um, and basically just rides right in, answers the question of what is this gift. He rides his horse into the throne room, which I always kind of pictured a, a throne room. It, it looks like that in Dragonstone. I would have thought about it in the Red Keep that it's. Up many flights of stairs. So either he has an awesome horse or it's like in the basement or something. I don't know. Um, but he shows what his gift was. He takes Yara with him. Um, but basically he comes on up and cucks the hell out of Jamie. It's his favorite pastime. It's his favorite pat, And that's the five minutes that's spent in the throne room and the conversations between them, including asking how does she like to have love made to her I'll say how does she like to be fucked is basically what he says um, he might just, be exactly what he says yeah I think it might <laughs> um, to Jamie as you know um, but basically Cersei tells him you know once the once the war is won you'll get whatever you want out of me and and uh, you know Euron gives Jamie the hey let's let's go as brothers you gotta tell me um, Eskimo brothers yeah Quite literally. Um, yeah, but then we, we basically see in both the throne room scene and the immediately following scene, Olaria Sand staring at the mountain. And I'll be honest, during the throne room scene, I thought there might be some type of, she's you know, they're not getting killed right away. There might be some type of last-ditch last effort for Olaria to avenge Oberyn. Uh, but no, not the case. Um, immediately see, once again, she stares at the mountain when they're getting tied up. And Cersei exacts her revenge the exact same way that Elaria killed Marcella, uh, the poison, poisonous kiss, um, and goes one step further than what Cersei didn't want for Marcella. She did. She put Marcella under the crypts of the Red Keep because she didn't want to see Marcella basically rot from the inside out, and she's doing that to Elaria with her daughter. You're going to watch her rot from the inside out, and I at first I was like, "Oh, she's she's getting revenge." Cersei might might start showing some signs of humanity, and 
it's still pretty fucking psychotic what she's no, doing. No, but yeah, that was... And the thing that's extra psychotic about Cersei, and it kind of makes her a perfect match for Euron, because even when he's, like, riding through the streets with his, like, torture victims, he says, like, this is making me hard. Yeah. And then... Yeah. He said as, that to his to his niece. Yeah. Cool. Like, um, but then... And again, she smiled when Theon was openly hitting on her on a horseback. So the Greyjoys might have some type of Targaryen, Lannister, incest type of stuff that's going on. Maybe. But in that same way, you know, Cersei's down in the dungeons and she's telling um, Ilaria that she's going to watch Tyene, like, rot. And they, she tells the guards to keep her well fed so that she's definitely yeah. alive and can see it all. And that gets Cersei off. Immediately she goes to find Jamie. Oh, yeah. And make out with them and then sleep with them. Yeah. And she's like throwing she doesn't care all shit anymore. to the wind. Like lets her chambermaid come in and see Jamie there. Like she doesn't care. She's like mad with the power. Maid, the maid that's been around like the whole series and like tells on everybody. So it's like Jamie immediately goes like, no, nobody should see us. And the chambermaid sees it in this. In this I actually found out from just seeing some stuff on the, uh, you know, after the episode. She's the one that basically tries to go tell Cersei about Shay and Shay bas- or and or no um about Shay. Shay has to put her in a chokehold when she finds out about Sansa's first period. Like there's a lot of shit that ends up happening and and she's kind of the cause of a lot of drama in King's Landing. Of course now Cersei's the queen, not just someone's queen. She's the queen. So she's I, mad with power. She's mad quite literally. With power. Um, but, I mean, it's certainly an interesting scene. Um, and we see Cersei, as the chambermaid's talk, is telling us that there's a visitor from the Iron Bank um, who's basically saying, hey, your father put us into, I'll put you into a ton of debt. And Cersei says, hey, don't worry about it. Lannister's we got this. Always always debts. Debts. And that kind of brings us back to Dragonstone in the end of the episode, or towards the end, where we see... Danny talking about the results of Euron's attack on the on her Greyjoy fleet and wants to burn them down with dragons and, and maybe she might have been right. Tyrion talks her out of it and goes into this voiceover about how they're going to attack Casterly Rock, what they talked about from the first episode, and basically says, We're not just gonna going to attack on the ground. I have a secret sex cave. <laughs> You're gonna go through my sex cave and into my base because my dad hated that I was short, so he made me design the sewers. So he can build a sex base. Good for Tyrion. But the soldiers go through it. They basically clear out some of the inside so that the rest of the soldiers can come in. As soon as they finish that, Grey Worm realizes... This was easy. This was too easy. What's the deal? And it pans out onto the sea where all their ships were. That once again, we find a quick case of how, how long does it take to travel places in Game of Thrones? In my mind... Casterly Rock and King's Landing are not far. They might not be that far, but it's still... I mean, that, that means that did the Unsullied sail around the continent to get up there? Because, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure Casterly Rock is... You'd have to go around Dorne. You'd have to go all the way around everything. Because they even mentioned this, of that at once we see Euron burning down the Unsullied soldiers... It cuts to where the rest of the troops are after after Grey Romance's soldier, Jamie, 
And our boy Bron, first episode of the season, first so, sighting. So happy to see him. Um, are charging at High Garden, and at first I was a little bummed that there wasn't a battle, but it kind of makes sense a little bit. We talked a little bit about bottle episodes last week. This is sort of in that same vein, where, and they they quickly fill in why of that the Tyrells, while very rich and powerful, they're pretty. They're pretty. <laughs> they're not. They're not. They're literally lovers and not fighters. Um, you know, Loras was was the Rose. He, yeah. you know, he was the Ro- the Rose Knight, um, and that's their their house sigil as well. But we then get into the Yas Queen scene, quite literally with the Queen of Thorns and her final appearance on the TV show. She and Jamie discuss this quick battle of how it was so easy for both the Unsullied to take Casterly Rock and how. Jamie took a page right out of Rob Stark's book, what he did to him way back in season one. Um, and, you know, we have them discussing sort of everything that's going on and and how Olena didn't really like th- that she helped Cersei rise to power, the disease she calls her, and says, I really regret what I did, and you, you will too, uh, if you know what's best for you, basically. And unbeknownst to Jamie and Cersei, but Cersei's getting the second revenge, mirror revenge of how her children died. And Jamie, it's kind of Jamie's doing. Cersei wanted to do a few few different other types of deaths. She's but Jamie talk, talked it out, it out of her as, as Jamie, the, the noble man that he is. Goes with a painless poison. A painless dumps poison. Dumps wine. And dumps it in her wine, and, and Elena immediately goes, "Hey, you know what? I didn't know how the poison worked." And Jamie, Jamie's like, "What?" He just tell, like stares at her. Tell Cersei it was me. I wanted her to know it was me. And I can't tell if that's when she died, like ultimate mic drop, or if she was just kind of like staring at him, and he's staring like, "What the fuck?" and just left. I just picture her like crossing her legs and leaning back, and like just waiting while yeah. Jamie leaves, like. That's all. Like, I would have thought it would have been funny if she did the, the Cersei or wine. <laughs> I thought that would have been funny too. Refill, please. Um, and that's basically how the, the episode ends. And I thought it was oh so great, obviously purposefully done when she knew she drank the wine. And, and basically there's nothing Jamie could do. She knows that Jamie has some some type of good. I say that with a question mark because it's still the Lannisters and we've seen what Jamie's done. The beginning, of, you know, from the beginning of the show and, and sort of the character development he's gone through, but at, at this point she knows that she's already dead, and, and Jamie knows that and isn't going to exact his revenge there. He's already killed her, uh, so I, I thought that was was pretty pretty savage of her to to do that. And it's it's kind of I know you never watched Breaking Bad, but it, it reminded me a little bit of just kind of people that watch Breaking Bad know what I'm talking about from the final season of there and, and kind of tying a. Spoiler alert. Well, people know. And the <laughs> deaths that were tied in. If you haven't watched the end of Breaking Bad, aside from her, because she doesn't watch anything, this is someone who took days off to watch Rocky leading up to Creed. All five movies, because she'd never seen them before. Still hasn't seen The Godfathers 1, 2. It's okay you haven't seen 3. But this is the kind of person I'm dealing with, people. I did watch Moana on Sunday, though, so. Uh, okay. Priorities. Yeah, there's an order of movies that need to be watched before Moana, so... Uh, we'll, we'll deal with that. Let's get back to the show. Um, I, I did think, though, that it was... I mean, it was necessary. Because kind of, you would have kind of... It's it's easy to point out that... not It's not a plot hole, but... 
kind of if it was something where Cersei goes on this wild goose chase now that she's gotten Marcella's revenge that she tries to figure out who killed Joffrey or she kills kills Tyrion at the end of it thinking it was Joffrey and like see, realizes that it wasn't it would I mean I, I think this was a lot better um but I mean just the way she said like tell Cersei it was me I want her to know that it was me yeah it's pretty badass. So savage. Yas queen so savage. moment of the uh, of the episode and of the season. And sad to see Olena go. You had to start thinking that some of these badass characters, especially the side characters, were going to start going. You can only have so many. You can only have so many. And we're really starting to see a lot of plots coming together. But and I, I can see that you have the map up. Report where I, is Casterly Rock? It's really hard. I believe to read. this is some bad radio, but it's on the west coast of of Westeros. The Narrow Sea is on the east coast, as is King's Landing. So, in other words, these boats had to go around. And Jamie mentions to Olena that the the Unsullied are going to have to now boatless charge across across the continent to get back to Dragonstone. And he's going to try to pick off. He's going to try to pick them off there, and that might be where we see the this fiery battle. And now we're just really theorizing when we're going to see it because I thought that might have been the start to it when we saw Jamie there. I did too on his horse. On his horse, um, which makes me kind of afraid. Are we only going to see Braun in these speechless capacities until he gets like burned alive? Oh God, don't say that. I hope he gets like some funny quip in. As the mega crossbow's coming out, maybe he fires it, or he does uh, the Doctor Strange Love and he rides it into or, it. Or like it doesn't do anything and he's like, oh, we're going to need a bigger crossbow. Like oh, some Jaws. Cl- yeah. Uh, have you ever seen Jaws? No. Yeah. See, <laughs> see people, this is this is what we're dealing with here. Um, yeah, but there's a lot of different movie references we could do with that. Or smile, you son of a bitch. Also from Jaws. Yeah. Um, Something like that. If Bronn's firing the mega crossbow, I think that's some... HBO might be upset that it got a little too comedic and not dark. Um, But other things from the episode, we mentioned Theon getting pulled up. I don't know how that's going to come back around. What the Ironborn are going to do. Are they going back to Dragonstone? We'll see. Do they kind of just give up and go back to Pike? We keep seeing Pike also in the opening credits. I wrote in my notes this week just... Where we saw in the opening credits, the wall's there. Nothing really at the wall. We get to someone we thought was there, uh, but we'll come to that. Pike's on, been on there the last two episodes. I don't know. I can't remember if it was on the the season premiere or not. But we've got nothing at Pike. Um, Winterfell was there though, and we go there, and we don't. We only get one big scene. Um, we got Sansa ruling it like a boss. She's doing a great job. She's doing a great job. Sort of figuring out, hey, how long has the winter been? And talking to the new maester that, that's there who is under the Boltons and, and has stayed loyal to yeah. the Starks reclaiming Sansa it. might be the peacetime ruler that the North needs. Yeah, I mean, you got to figure out how much wheat do you need to protect Winterfell Castle. That's pretty important shit. It is. I'm not being sarcastic. Okay, I'm, good. I'm being serious. We um, need to get Baelish out of there. I, every time I see Winterfell, I just think, no... No, because he's up to something, and I don't know if it's good or bad. Most, It's definitely bad. Oh, yeah. I don't and know if Sansa's of, in on it. I don't know. Well, we don't know, and it's it's vaguely drawn out in this conversation they have where 
she's basically t- trying to tell him to leave, and he goes, "No, and she's like, I don't know whose side you're on." And he goes, "I'm on everybody's side. You need to fight a battle every single which way, so that you're not surprised at all to whatever happens." Uh, and almost on cue, Bran Stark returns, which to Sansa. You know, she knew that Bran wasn't dead, or that at least Theon didn't kill Bran. Um, and she maybe had some slimmer of hope that if Rickon wasn't dead yet, then maybe Bran isn't dead yet. But this confirms it. He's back, and the meme that's been going around the internet is he's like your little brother that comes back from college and asks you to read his dream journal. He's which so weird. Which I did see it like an, a side-by-side image of like Bran from like season two and three. Like, this is five years ago, but it's still like, He's so much younger and, like, it doesn't look as kind of dream journaled out. We'll put it that way. You know, didn't get changed by his freshman year. Um, but Bran returns, ex- tries to explain the Three-Eyed Raven. It's a lot of shit that's going on. He even says it's hard to explain. But in a parallel to what Littlefinger had just said, he mentions that he can see everything everywhere. And Sansa's kind of like, what the fuck is this? And reminds her of, of some bad memories. Yeah, that he wouldn't have known about. <coughs> there was no way for him to know about it. He kind of creepily tells his sister she looked beautiful on her wedding night. When she got raped? Before that, even before what happened, her assault. He goes, like, oh, you look so pretty in your wedding dress. I know. You look so great, Sansa. Like, I, I, I mean, that's my, little, that's my little brother saying that to me. You know, oh, you looked great in your tuxedo. Like in that tone, like Jesus Christ! Like get the get out of here! Get out of here! <laughs> That's just his creepy Raven voice now. I think. yeah, maybe. Well, he kind of looks at the Godswood. I mean, is that what Bran's gonna do? Just chill there? He's think- not Lord of Winterfell. He doesn't care about that kind of stuff anymore because he's the three-eyed Raven. He technically, is Lord of Winterfell. He is, but he doesn't want to be it. I guess and- he can like abdicate the lordship. Yeah, probably. I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe the Daenerys Cersei. Shows that you can be anybody can be. No Lord one's now. following the rules. Nobody's following the John's rules. John's a bastard, and he's king of the north. Yeah, I did think. I do think that's interesting that we had the the Stannis promise from the season four finale that he was going to make John John Stark, and it just never happened. Part of it is he became Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, but it's sort of in that that same sort of vein that this promise was there and it, it hasn't happened, and it's never going to. When we're going to eventually, hopefully, eventually figure out that. John is fire and ice combined. He was the bringing together of fire and ice. Um, How does it come out? Does Bran tell him? It's got to be Bran. It's got to be something that John comes back with Dragonstone. He's like, why Why didn't you stay with your aunt, John? Come play with me, John. Stop. Why did you do that, John? Eventually, he just becomes Hal 3000, um, which is from... Ooh. Okay. Stanley Kubrick. Little 20, 2001, A Space Odyssey for you. Oh, it's going to go clockwork I'm afraid. Orange. I'm afraid I cannot let you do that. Haven't seen John. it. If he says... Oh, man. There's a lot of movie references that I'm trying to draw to. So let's continue on of other scenes. Bran, I mean, he's definitely... He's the catalyst that's basically going to figure out some of this. Because B- Baelish knows something, too. He has to. He's got to know something. All of those creepy things in the crypt. <coughs> there's, but he knows something about this story too. So it's gotta be. How does he know? That's my like one question. Because like, I don't. It's know. not like Catelyn knew, and Catelyn 
was like, oh, little Peter, little Peter, I'm going to tell you all about my husband's bastard who's not really a bastard. Like, she didn't know. She like she didn't like John, and she laments in not liking John before she got her throat slit, but, you know, when Lady Stoneheart's not in the show, so who knows? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I guess we'll figure that out. But, you know, other, other stuff we got, we mentioned the exchange between Varys and Melisandre. I think that... Um, we missed... Okay. Well, no, we're just coming over. We're coming over some other stuff. We come, very important. We go back to Old Town. Jorah is cured! is cured, yeah. We weren't going to skip Jorah. I was worried. No, I mean, and it was interesting really seeing how Game of Thrones is a show that has always, not prided itself, but always operated on... Five different plot points where you might get one or two scenes and they all last no more than nine minutes. As a show where we had two main set pieces along with the battles that were surrounding it. That that, that counts as Dragonstone in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we get this quick scene, or I guess back-to-back scenes. Very quick though of Jorah's healed. Oh, what are you going to do now? Oh, I'm going to go back to Daenerys. Sam, come to my office. Oh, Sam, you're in trouble. Wink, wink. But copy all these scrolls. But copy all these scrolls. I I kind of think, to be honest, that there's some type of answer that Sam's looking for in the scrolls. Because mm-hmm. they're old. They're really old. And maybe he's like, oh, there's stuff about the White Walkers in there. But he doesn't want to tell him. He wants to act like he's punishing him. That's my personal theory. I could see that. Yeah, I kind of thought that. I, I didn't write it in my, in my notes. I just wrote that he got reamed out and I knew it wasn't kind of a big scene for But can it. we also agree that, like... <coughs> Maybe Sam could have wore gloves to to shake Jorah's hand. Yeah, that's a good point. We don't know how cured he is. If Sam, maybe that's how he becomes George R. R. Martin. He just he, Sam's a George stone R. R. Man. Martin is a stone. That's why he has a stone heart. That's why he does. That's why he kills everybody because he's crazy. Because he's had he's he's got grayscale. That's conspiracy theory. Stay woke on that one, guys. <laughs> George R. R. Martin becomes Sam. He's going to guest star in the second half of the season. As Sam. As Samwell. Stay woke. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, we, you know, we have a lot of setting up and a lot of hitting the gas, as the, the recap post on The Ringer referred to it as. And I thought, originally I was a little bummed we didn't get to see some Jamie commanding the troops, bronze sword work at High Garden, and it makes sense. It probably wasn't too costly. I tried to look this up. I don't know if you knew if, if it really was mentioned about the Tyrells being you know, lovers and not really fighters, or if that was just kind of added on, uh, you know, to, to save, you know, to kind of explain why they didn't have the fight in there. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find it in the research I did. Um, so if you know that, let us know. But I did think, you know, but I do think it, it kind of, Hammers home the effect of, we don't need these filler fights. We're just going to continue the plot along because there's a lot that we need to set up. There's a lot more pieces that need to happen. This is kind of that later stage of the mid-game, if you will, to think about it almost in the chess-like plot that this show has, that we're starting to get towards some of those final pieces to put certain play, you know, certain end-game moves in place, but it's very quick now, you know, all the different plays you could do if not one you have the next one backed up <coughs> for my uh sports fans out there you know it's draft season 
you have three different players you're thinking about drafting. One guy goes, the next one's up. You know, that that sort of thing. And I think here that, you know, not seeing a fight where basically the Lannisters roll over the Tyrell family, not necessarily the worst thing in the world. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but overall, I think it was the best episode of the season. I would give it an A-. minus. I don't know if it gets all the way to an A. You're waiting for that big battle. Yeah, waiting for the big battle. I mean, there's a lot that's promised. You know, we haven't really seen... We haven't seen a lot of great moves out of the, the Danny camp yet. They kind of seem to have that one step behind mentality. Because she hasn't been being a dragon. Yeah, I guess so. Um, you know, we, I mean, we, we probably will now that she's been outsmarted twice. You know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Um, fool me thrice, you're getting burned alive. Um, it's probably what I've her got, mantra is. I've got dragons. Yeah, throw me dra- thrice, I have dragons. Um, <laughs> that should be a t-shirt. Dibs. Um, don't roll your eyes. I it's did. a good idea. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean. Tea public. <laughs> what? I said put it on T public. T public. That's where I get my Sixer shirts. Oh. Trust the process, Markel. Step over uh, T's. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I, I'd give it an A minus. I w- am waiting for that bigger that bigger battle, um, but setting up a ton. And I think next week we got a lot in the mix. It was a very very fast preview. Yeah, it was just about a bunch of jump cuts, really. It a wasn't... lot of jump cuts. I did notice dragons in battle, so maybe we are getting that big battle next week. Who knows? I don't think we're gonna get a all in one location episode. Like we've been getting in the last couple seasons with a big battle. I don't think they would do that in the middle episode of a seven episode season. No, because they got to end on a high note in a seven episode season. Yeah. Well, not even just a high note, a big cliffhanger. Like if like if yeah. John hadn't died already, that'd be the perfect cliffhanger. Like John <coughs> like gets stabbed or something and a dragon burned. Like John gets burned by a dragon. That'd be an interesting way to end the season. But we're jumping ahead. You know, I mean, I, th- I think definitely the best episode of the season. Not necessarily the best episode of the series. Some people that I've read think that it's that's up there. That and Stormborn last week could outdo the Winds of Winter from no. the end of last season, which I don't think so. That's that was movie quality. Um, but you know, it'll be interesting to see how this Sunday goes. Hopefully, we are back right after the episode ends on Sunday night, and we are not so exhausted from. Throwing axes and getting a dog. Uh, but, Emily, anything else going on? No. No, nothing much? No. Any other crazy theories that you might have? I I mean, maybe... I'm, I'm, in, on, I'm in on the Sam is George R. R. Martin theory. Yeah, I, that's pretty seeable. Uh, you know, the, the whole, oh, it needs to be more poetic. We're not poets, Sam. No, a song of ice and fire is pretty poetic. Yeah. Well, who do you think is the ice and the fire? Do you think it's just John? Do you think it's John and Danny? You It sounded like you thought it was both. I think it's both because what good are three dragons in battle if only one can be ridden? Yeah. So you, so on the three riders theory, it's Danny, John, and who? Who's the third rider? Is it Bran? Does Bran warg one? Is it Euron with his horn of... of- no. I don't know. Is it Tyrion? Well, that's the uh, that's the theory, is that it's Tyrion. Yeah. You're no son of mine. That, yeah, that's the theory. Yeah. You know, his mom died in childbirth with him. Like, 
I don't know the theory with that well, but that's the theory. Yeah, well, basically the idea <laughs> is that Tyrion's, Tyrion, you know, the, the Lannister's mother, um, I think, for which Targaryen it is that's thrown out there, I think it's one that did not make the series in, in reference, um, but but basically that, that their mom had an affair and Tyrion's the bastard in it, which in Tywin knew that's why he always hated Hated Tyrion, not just because he killed, because it's a constant reminder of his wife's infidelity, uh, and that's why Tyrion is able to pet the dragons in last season without getting burned or, or anything like that or eaten. Um, but yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see who the third writer is. I definitely think it's John Danny. I think the Bran Warging theory, especially because at the end of season four, being told you will fly, I think you know sometimes it is pretty straightforward. Yeah. If it's something stupid where he actually becomes a three-eyed raven, like in the beginning of the show, I'd be pretty pissed off. But I think that's going to do it for us. It's enough. Of We're starting to get a little, a little down the the rabbit hole, and you know I do that enough on my own time, so we don't need to bore you with my own craziness. But as always, please like and share and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. But that'll do it for us here for Emily. I am Jordy Cannell. Have a good night, everybody.